Having been dubbed the reformed Harry Styles, William Shatner, and Cruella DeVille, Carl, Todd, and Amy set out on another spinning adventure. The mortification of spin posse toss around ideas about the very biblical concept of finding strength in the midst of weakness. As Christians, we must draw our strength from our brokenness, sinfulness, and weakness. But how can pastors shepherd their flocks of weak, broken people as weak, broken people themselves? And on a different note, how is Carl similar to Harry Styles? Will he be able to compete for some of Harry's fangirls? Well, today we're broadcasting from a top-secret nursery in an OPC uh, church somewhere in darkest Virginia. I'll give you a clue if you're passing through. It's the nursery with the psychedelic pink windows. Um, Todd, what do you think of those windows? I, I love it. It turns everything in here slightly pink. Um, no, you're a big pink guy. I'm a uh, big pink guy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very secure in my masculinity. Yeah, um, Carl. I mean, I, I don't know if you are now that we've found out uh, something about you and the the the, the boy band One Direction. Ooh, painful. Uh, we, painful. We do know a little bit of information here. Amy Bird, an honorary man and uh, <laughs> uh, honorary one of the guys here with us, she has a daughter who listens religiously to Mortification of Spin because a certain member of the hosting team on Mortification of Spin, uh, when he speaks, apparently sounds just like a member of One Direction, a young man named Harry Styles. And with, uh, with Carl's uh, proclivity for um, all things musical, particularly <laughs> his love for boy bands, boy bands. Um, I think that, uh, that he's quite honored with that distinction. So for now on, um, Carl is the uh, Reformed Theology's answer to Harry Styles of One Direction. It's, uh, it's Harry Styles. Um, I'm just wondering, I need to have a word with you because um, basically I want, I want to shave my hair off. And uh, no one will really let me, and I just want to like take it all off, because I know you have a skinhead and it looks like cool. So I'm just wondering if maybe we could just like shave my hair off, because no one, everyone's telling me not to do it, but I think you know I think you I think you'll make it look good. And I like the my argument is I think like my popularity is in my face, not in my hair. So I think it'd be fine. Um, some people don't agree, but I think, you know, I think you'll do a good job. So just um, give me a call back and we'll shave my hair. Thanks. You feel good about that, Carl? <laughs> oh, I feel slightly better about it than I did about the Elton John crack. <laughs> 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 so to go, but, uh, you think that's but, an upgrade, yeah. maybe? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm still hanging on, though, for you to be the Elton John of Reformed Theology. <laughs> a tiny dancer. Um, I always think of you as having a certain Canadian aesthetic. Uh, I'm oh. not sure, are you the Justin Bieber of Reformed <laughs> Theology, or are you the William Shatner <laughs> oh, of Shatner. Reformed Theology? Absolutely Shatner. You've got the, I don't know, the hair transplant. No, the, 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 I need the, the hair has. transplant. Yeah, yeah. I need the hair transplant. Obviously, you'd need to lose a few pounds in order to really <laughs> capture the Shatner. To, well, to, 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 well, Shatner, Shatner's... Uh, uh, Kind of husky these days, but um, I no, know, but you still need to lose a few. Bieber's, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Carl. I appreciate that. But no, I'm 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 I am more than happy to be classed with with uh, William Shatner, uh, James T. Kirk, T. J. Hooker. Anybody remember T. J. Hooker? I remember with uh, who was the very attractive assistant he had? Oh, that was Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear, later married absolutely. to somebody from uh, Motley Crue. Motley Crue, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Tommy I, Lee, the drummer. Absolutely. I, I think yep. Heather Locklear looks like the typical uh, female uh, police officer. 
um, out there. <laughs> Certainly so, in my township. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking maybe we could get Carl to do like a reading or a, maybe a singing of That's What Makes You Beautiful if by he, One Direction. If he would do a, a and then reading we could bring of those in lyrics. more 11 year old girls. Yep. Yep. And we would have a faithful following to it. add to our five listeners. Uh, absolutely. If we could get Carl. Just tell everybody he's Harry Styles and just read those lyrics. The girls would flock to this thing. Now, obviously, we couldn't show them a picture or they'd run away. Well, but as long as they, as long as we tell them that it's Harry, I'm told I bear an uncanny physical resemblance to him, actually. So, you know, <laughs> uh -oh. yeah, he, he has lost almost all of his hair. So, <laughs> and I think looking at Amy, I mean, we have to say what the the Cruella Deville of uh, Reformed theology, perhaps. So. I've been downgraded from Pat Benatar. Mm, it just gets worse. Is that your best shot? It gets it gets worse here. Um, oh, as, as I thought I was going to be like Janis Joplin or somebody good. Cruella. Oh well. Could. She, I mean, she was voted. Janis Joplin was voted. She's rough the, like Quella, but you know. Yeah. She was voted the ugliest man at the University of Texas in <laughs> 1970 or something. So, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of which, um, uh, boy, I don't know how to segue that one. I, I have no idea. Carl, do you have any help here for Let's us? Let's just or? do it. Today we want to talk about <laughs> strength and weakness. Uh, don't know how we can get there from Janis Joplin, but. <laughs> I think it's well. Let me try. Let me try. Let me try it this way. Mm -hmm. uh, Janice Joplin was certainly not a very attractive uh, woman. She was voted the ugliest woman at the University of Texas. Uh, but there is a tremendous beauty to the artwork that she produced mm. in terms of her singing. So You're there you good. have it. You are so good. And I'm the, and, good. And this is what chaps me about that that segue, <laughs> is if I had said it, without the English accent, it would have sounded utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Carl Truman can get on here with his fancy English accent and make it sound credible. Yeah, well, if you uh, if you had it sounded like Harry Styles, you too would be as persuasive <laughs> right. as right. I am. Yeah. Okay, so, um, Carl, um, I don't know when this was, maybe two years ago, something like that, close to it, a year and a half. Um, and, and this keeps coming up because you, you keep reminding me of it. Um, you were installed as uh, the pastor at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Uh, you were very kind uh, to invite me to um, give the uh, charge to the candidate. Derek Thomas was there to preach the sermon, which was good as always. And um, apparently you found my charge to the candidate somewhat, I don't know, bleak, yes. depressing. I would say it was, uh, you know, if, if Ingmar Bergman on a bad day had written a charge for a pastor coming to a Presbyterian church, that would probably have been it. Uh, Death in the seventh seal couldn't have done a more depressing job. I remember the, the one phrase was, was blood on the hands. <laughs> I don't recall saying it exactly like that. But in defense of myself, I'm... I was taught, I was referring to Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders and how he said, I am innocent of the blood of you all, for I have not failed teaching to you the whole counsel of God's word, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm simply making the connection that for Paul to teach the congregation was a matter of life and death, a matter of innocence and blood, and uh, that therefore the pastoral role is one that is 
very, very sober. I also happen to be going through a, a tremendous challenge in ministry, and so it happened to be on my mind. Yeah, I had a number of people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, is Todd having a, a bad time in ministry at the moment? I thought, well, no, he's, he's usually as, uh, as miserable a beggar as he was uh, this evening. But, uh, but in, you, know, you, you were putting your finger, though, on something very important there, and that is that uh, you know, the Bible, Paul talks a lot about, about strength in, in weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in an era where, ironically, uh, the language of weakness and and I think a theology of weakness has become very marketable mm-hmm. and has been picked up by people who are using it as a a product that is presented in in ways of of strength. Now, one of the comments I've made to students at Westminster over the years is we need to make sure that it's not just our theology that separates us from the prosperity gospelers. And I've become very disturbed over the last three, four years about the way that that reform theology, Calvinism, which to me should be it is it should be the theology of weakness, mm-hmm. has actually become associated with an aesthetic of swagger and yeah. and strength. Um, you know, let's let's name some names. You know, Mark Driscoll, yeah. the, the swagger, uh, the techniques these guys use. That the the weakness of the message is not reflected in the weakness of the medium, yeah. and I think that's a theological problem. I don't want to say the medium is the message. I think that can be a simplistic reduction sure. in some ways, but, but it's a helpful overstatement. Yeah, I mean, when Luther was not reformed, Luther was Lutheran. Right. But when Luther talks about the theology of the cross, he doesn't actually talk about the theology of the cross. He talks about right. theologians mm-hmm. of the cross right. that. And I think the point he's making there is that one cannot ultimately separate what one's saying from the way one says it. One cannot separate one's theology of the cross from one's identity under the cross, and that has uh, implications for how one presents oneself as a pastor uh, and as a Christian. Any reflections on that, guys? Well, I... we just recently interviewed Paul Wolf, and he said something that has kind of um, stuck out to me, and that is that we are all suffering on our way to glory. And, you know, here he is sharing his experience with cancer, but um, we are all suffering on our way to glory. So I think even the most Reformed Christians, we all have this little bit of a prosperity gospel inside of us to where we think that the Christian life is maybe one mixed with good decision-making and then consequential blessings after that. And one thing that I was talking about with a a group of women lately in um, Housewife Theologian group that I do, which I'm blessed to have my daughter there and a couple teenage girls, is that even when we make a stand for Christ, even in good decisions, there are painful consequences. There is suffering. And that is something that needs to be taught to us young, because here we have um, teenagers who are going to, okay, let's say you're in a relationship in your upper teens or early 20s, and you are striving for purity. That is suffering as well. It's a beautiful thing, but there's a lot of suffering in that. Or um, three people in that group were sharing different stories of where they had to take a stand in their friend's wedding, you know, whether it be not going to the bachelor party, bachelorette party, because it was inappropriate, or actually not being in the wedding party, because um, there was so much wrong in the relationship already that they couldn't stand before God as a witness. It's much easier just to be in the wedding. 
and everybody to be happy and celebrating. And sometimes we have to make these very difficult decisions that are for truth, but then we have consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I think weakness becomes a really essential uh, characteristic, a, a very, very vital characteristic for a person serving in, in the role I serve as a pastor, Carl, you serve as a pastor. And I, I enjoy the, uh, the friendly banter about, um, my charge to you. You know how much I love it. Um, but, but I, 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 I stand by the content because I'm convinced that brokenness and weakness and pain are really, really essential for the pastor as unpleasant as those things are. They are essential because they are means by which, number one, the Lord keeps us humble, but number two, by which we might continue to empathize with the people who we stand before and, and, and preach every week. I think clearly we see this in Paul's life. Um, Second Corinthians, very, very autobiographical in that sense. Paul, we get a real glimpse into what Paul was struggling with and uh, Paul lets us in on things. Um, chapter two, he talks about the fact that he walked away from an open door for the gospel at Troas because he hadn't heard back yet from Titus as to whether or not the church at Corinth had received his hard letter. And so here you have a man, Paul, um, who took far more risks than I think I'd ever be willing to take. So there was strength and courage there without a doubt. And yet his anxiety over the possibility of losing the affection of the Corinthian church um, uh, pained him so much that it incapacitated him to even walk through an open door for the gospel in Troas. Um, So I'm not advocating that pastors ought to be miserable men, (laughs) far from it. And yet um, God gives us means to remind us of our brokenness and our weakness for a reason. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, those are powerful, powerful words. And, of course, we live in an era where a lot of uh, men going into pastoral ministry drop out relatively early on. And then probably every story of every dropout is going to have its own unique features, but I suspect there are certain general patterns that emerge. One of them, I'm guessing, is that people go into pastoral ministry with unrealistic expectations of what it's going to be like, Mm -hmm. not realizing that actually... Not everybody's going to be Tim Keller or right. John Piper. Not everybody's going to have, to, for want of a better word, a successful ministry right. uh, that, that because of the numbers involved is, is well-funded and able to engage on, on a lot of fronts. Many, right. many or most of the students I teach are going to go out into relatively hard situations, right. churches of probably less than 100, some right. less, than, less than 50. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be tough, and maybe there's not going to be a whole amount of, of encouragement there. Right. And, and I would want to be able to tell them, look, you need to know that most of you will minister in obscurity. Most of you will not be published. Um, most of you will pastor churches that are not going, most of you, mm. not some, most of you mm. are going to pastor churches that will not grow numerically. Yeah, yeah. So what sort of things would you uh, suggest one puts in place, Todd? I mean, we, we accept that, yeah. that weakness and pain is going to be part of, of everyday life and also, therefore, part of, part of ministry. Mm-hmm. But what particular things are, are useful for uh, helping with that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, we have to begin with the fact that the Lord has to help us put down our egos um, so that we don't have the expectation that I be treated 
better than I deserve. Mm. Um, and, and I think that this is where some of the problem is, is that we, you know, we've always had, at least for a long time, we've had these examples of kind of the outrageous prosperity gospel guys, the Kenneth Copelands and these other uh, clowns who who run around and and flash and 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 flaunt their wealth and claim that they never even get the flu because the Lord's healed them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so we'll always have those people with us. What troubles me is the seeming growing number of of people that aren't quote unquote prosperity preachers. They're not many of them aren't even charismatic or Pentecostal, but they've embraced what I would call maybe a soft prosperity teaching. And they really do come across as extremely well put together, mm. very successful. And, and, and I, I don't want to say a guy can't make a good living. I don't want to say a guy. I, I hope that more pastors write really, really good books that will be a blessing to the church. But, but I think guys are going into the ministry now expecting success with a book, success with a blog, success with um, being known, uh, get on the conference circuit. And that's a real dangerous, those are dangerous waters to wade into because very few men reach that, that level. Very few. I wonder too about, um, how we've really lost our, um, sense of the evil in sin. And so with the soft prosperity that you're Mm -hmm. talking about, um, I know that you've mentioned before that some of the some of the things that get into so-called reformed theology can be more subtle. Mm-hmm. Some of the bad doctrine and I'll get all Puritan on you guys, but mm-hmm. um, I love Jer- Jeremiah Burroughs book, the evil of evils. Mm-hmm. And it just really reminds you of the evil and sin. And the premise in that book is that it's a very evil choice for any soul under heaven to choose the least sin rather than the greatest affliction. I mean, you really think about that, we'll choose a, a pretty big sin in order to avoid a small affliction. We just don't want to suffer. We don't want to choose mm-hmm. suffering ever. Yeah. And that appears good when we're not under suffering. People yeah. look at us and, and we look successful. Mm-hmm. And he points to in the book, he points to Paul, who when he talks about um, affliction, he praises God that he's able to do that for Christ's name. And when he talks about his sin, it's a different story. It's, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Mm-hmm. And then he points to Christ, who was the sinless man, who was then made the biggest sinner ever mm-hmm. in the whole world. On the cross, he took on the greatest affliction to pay for our sin. And that's such a picture of the evil of sin right there. Mm-hmm. And we just don't even use the word evil anymore. And sin is more like a, a silly mistake that we made. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, uh, in, in certain contexts that we see actually coming into the neo-reform circles, are um, almost a, a, a soft prosperity gospel, or even in some ways a theology of glory, um, where uh, what we will not have until glory we, we expect to, to, to get now. And, and so what happens is, is, I, is I end up despising anything that makes me weak, um, rather than saying, Okay, how is the Lord using this so that he can be strong in me, so that his strength can be known in me? But if that's going to happen, um, he's got to put down my pride. And that requires some deaths. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Um, you know, I, I refer back to Paul. Paul entreating the Lord, take this thorn away, take this thorn away, take this thorn away. 
and the Lord saying, I'm giving you good stuff. And because I'm giving you good stuff, it's going to puff you up with arrogance. So to keep that from happening, I have to afflict you. I have to afflict you. Um, Otherwise, you won't know my strength. And so one of the things we have to do as a people is to not despise our weaknesses, to not despise those things that the Lord uses to humble us. And that's hard. Yeah, I think it also plays into the the fact that we all tend to ultimately view history as being about us. Mm. I'm just preaching through the lives of Elijah and Elisha Church on Sunday, and I've reached the point where Elijah passes out of the scene and, and Elisha picks up the cloak, strikes the Jordan, crosses back into the promised land, taking the battle back back to the enemy. And it's, it's very striking, you know, as, as Elijah is carried to heaven, Elisha shouts, you know, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. It's, it's as if for Elisha, it's, it's all over at that point. Mm-hmm. The, the great Elijah is being taken to heaven. What's going to happen? But actually what's going to happen is, well, the Lord continues his plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plan was always bigger than Elijah. Yeah. It's going to ultimately be bigger than Elisha as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been sort of wrestling with what's going through Elijah, Elisha's mind at that point. I think he's, he can't get over the fact that History is not wrapped up with one or two individuals. Mm-hmm. History is actually the story of God and God's action throughout history. We live in a culture where we are constantly being told that, that we are special, that we are right. the center mm-hmm. of the universe, that in some ways life, the universe, and everything depends upon us. Yeah. That creeps into and, and, and permeates the church as well, and we need to strive against that. And being taught our own irrelevance once in a while, right. I think, is a, is a very, very important yeah. important aspect yeah. of, of what it means to to well, be a church leader. Absolutely. And uh, so, so the ideas of weakness and obscurity become negative voices that we have to overcome. Yeah. Uh, they become sins, um, where in reality, um, it's these are good reminders mm-hmm. from the Lord of our actual position. He loves us, but I'm also really unnecessary for the success of his mission. And and that's where we're going to have to be okay with being highly replaceable, weak, clay pots. It's interesting that Paul would use that imagery of us. Clay pots, very common, very inexpensive, Mm -hmm. very breakable, Mm -hmm. um, used for all kinds of humble and less than humble uses, Mm -hmm. um, but who house a great treasure. At the end of the day, that's what we are. We're, We're dirt baked hard. Um, in service to the king. We're dirt-baked hard. We're vessels, cheap, replaceable vessels that get to hold the treasure. And God does not have a special plan for your life. It winds me up when people say that. (laughs) God has a special plan for the church. Right. Uh, And the church is made up of lots of individuals. Uh, He doesn't have a special plan for my life in that sense. Clearly, I'm known to him. I'm I'm known by name to him. He counts the hairs of my head a task which becomes easier as the (laughs) years go by, of course. But the story of history is the story of the church. It's not the story of Carl Truman. It's not the story of of Todd Pruitt or Amy Bird. It's focused on the church. The Lord's plan is for the church. And he has a plan for us to the extent that we are within Mm -hmm. that church, embodied within the church. Right. Well, it's uh, it's a good discussion. It's a good reminder. Um, that we are um, replaceable, <laughs> temporary. Under affliction. But exactly. We've but been it, trying to replace you for quite a while, Tom, <laughs> but had no success I, uh, thus far. I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, but gloriously <laughs> temporary and gloriously replaceable. Mm. Um, and uh, so long as I understand that uh, the point of history is God and not me, 
I'll be I'll be okay with that. And and for us to remember that our greatest service to the body of Christ uh, will be found in those areas where the Lord has chosen uh, to afflict us with weakness, that He might be strong. So um, un- until we see Christ, let's remember that uh, we are uh, we are His beloved but dependent and weak uh, vessels. Well, you've joined us for Mortification of Spin and hope that the time has been helpful for you. We do want you to go to the website. Uh, We are giving away some copies of a teaching series from James Montgomery Boyce called Overcoming Adversity. And we would encourage you to uh, go there and... uh, uh, put your name in for uh, for a free copy of those uh, CDs, and we'd be happy to get those right out to you. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. To see her is to take a sudden chill. Cruella, Cruella de Vil. The curl of her lips, the ice in her stand. All innocent children had better beware. She's like a spider waiting for the kill. Look out for Cruella DeVille. At first you think Cruella is a devil. Well, after time is worn away to shot. You come to realize you see her kind of eyes watching you from underneath the rock. This vampire back. In human beings, she ought to be locked up and never released. The world was such a wholesome place until Cruella, Cruella the Bill. Mortification of Spin is a production of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Alliance ministries include Reformation21.org, the Bible Study Hour, and events held from Florida to Sacramento. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue to bring you Mortification of Spin with your support. To make a donation, please visit MortificationOfSpin.org or call 800-488-1888. Please join the gang again next week. And don't forget to enter for your chance to win Overcoming Adversity. If she doesn't stand, you no know evil thing will. To see her is to take a sudden chill. Blood on the hands. <laughs> <laughs>